Now let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come this morning to your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to its truth. And that, Lord, we'd be led to special places as we contemplate you and our communication with you. So, Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray, because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I was just reminded as we we sang there before I begin that the Lord is my shepherd and and I've had occasion on a number of, of times to preach on that. And one of the things that impresses me about that psalm is, you know, David was a man who was surrounded by experts. Does that sound familiar? Hmm? I mean, you've got an expert to tell you how to do everything. How to bring up your kids, how to eat, how to sleep. Um, There's an expert for everything. David was a man who was surrounded by experts. But what did he say? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh man, take that to heart. Take that to heart, especially in the day in which we live. I want to leave that now. That was an aside. Stay awake. (laughs) In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now of all the topics we find regarding the Christian life, there are few that have had so much written about it and so many claims made for it as prayer. And it is sad to have to say that much of what has been written has been extremely misleading in its emphasis And the claims made are often extravagant and are dominated by the dramatic and the sensational and bearing little resemblance to the principles that we find in Scripture. We are often encouraged to indulge our wants in prayer and then to stand back and watch for the Lord's answers and to judge him by whether he does what we want him to do or whether he doesn't. I've never forgotten a men's prayer breakfast that I went to once, a businessman's prayer breakfast, and the man who was asked to give his testimony stood up and he said, I used to be uh, an owner of my own business, It was a very successful business. I had a large home and uh, a swimming pool. And he said, I heard the Lord's call and went to Bible school and spent, I think it was, five years there. And then when he came out of Bible school, he said, I prayed. Lord, I would like you to give me back my business and my home with its five bedrooms and the swimming pool. And his testimony was, the Lord did it. Isn't God good? 
Well, God is good. But he is not someone to be manipulated by our wants and pleasures. And there are some serious warnings with regard to prayer and what we ask for in the Word of God. Our prayer should not be thoughtless, for instance, in its content. It's something that you should think about before you enter into. And I say this because when I go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Do not be hasty in word or impulse in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. In other words, let them be thoughtful words. We should be careful about what we ask for when we come to God in prayer. The Israelites closed their wants with a veneer of need. Does that sound familiar as well? Hmm? They pestered God to satisfy their cravings. And when I turn to Psalm 106, it says to me, So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease amongst them. God's judgments, and we need to remember this, God's judgments are not always visible diseases. More often than not, they take the form of allowing us to continue unrestrained in our indulgence. But he retreats from us and he leaves us to our own devices. And we carry on governed by our own wills, our own desires, our own wants. Now, as in, well, we become the victims, if you like, of our own appetites and fantasies, because that is what motivates our prayers. Now, of all things that belong to the Christian life, the Lord Jesus is our example in prayer, and here in our text we find him going to pray. And the emphasis that I want to talk to you about this morning is the motive behind your praying. The motive behind your praying. Behind your attitude in prayer. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. There are at least 13 occasions in the Gospels where it is recorded that the Lord Jesus prayed. On six of those occasions, he is said to have gone away to pray alone. Sometimes he took the disciples with him, and we may assume that on many of those occasions, just as it was at Gethsemane, he would leave them nearby and he would move away and he would pray alone. On at least one of those occasions in Luke 6, he is said to have prayed all night. Apart from his prayers on the cross, there are four times he is recorded as praying in public. 
when he was baptised, <clears throat> the feeding of the 5,000, after John the Baptist's disciples approached him, and at the raising of Lazarus. On two of those occasions, his prayer was for the benefit of those who were there at the time, so that they could hear the prayer and that they could learn from the situation. And on the, another time that he was praying in public, he was giving thanks for food. And so when we read the Gospels, prayer was clearly important in the life of our Lord Jesus, and so it should be in our lives. It should be a, an important part of our Christian experience. And so it's important when we approach prayer that we should approach it with the right attitude. We're not always told what the Lord Jesus prayed about. Indeed, apart from his high priestly prayer and the events leading up to and on the cross, little is revealed of his personal prayers. But Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, was clearly the governing principle of his life. His words, his actions were always dominated by his desire for his Father's glory. And so we may on these grounds assume with some certainty, I believe, that the burden of his prayer would follow the same pattern. The same pattern indeed is the model prayer that he gives us, our Father who art in heaven. Here in our text we find him going out in the early hours of the morning and praying alone. <clears throat> now the context of the prayer is important. As we have seen already, the day before had been a very taxing one. Teaching in the synagogue, freeing the demon-possessed man, healing Peter's mother-in-law, and then there were the multitudes who came to Peter's house in the evening. From the outside looking in, it had been a very successful day. There were opportunities to preach the message of the kingdom of God and there were so many people healed, no failures. Of all who came to him, none are recorded as being sent away disappointed. A day in fact that we could easily get carried away with. But soon afterward, we find the Lord Jesus in the early hours before daybreak the next day, praying. R.A. Cole in his commentary says, In this way the Lord Jesus was accustomed to spend his preacher's Monday morning. The earliness of the hour and the pains thus constantly taken to secure a quiet place for uninterrupted prayer left an abiding impression on the disciples. You see, success 
was not going to be allowed to put things out of perspective. And prayer was one of the prime means that the Lord Jesus used to keep his focus on his Father's will. How needful is this kind of prayer for all who would follow in his footsteps. Not allowing anything to be, be it our ambition, our pleasures, our hardships, even our successes to sidetrack us from our focus of being obedient to and giving glory to God alone in our lives. That's not easy. That's not a hitty. And that's why the Lord Jesus took so much time over prayer. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And how did he remain without sin? By meeting those temptations on his knees. He didn't let success, in other words, go to his head as it went to his disciples' heads. And we'll see that later on. How needful then is this kind of prayer for all who would follow in his footsteps. Not allowing anything to sidetrack us from glorifying him in our lives. Ask yourself, do you have this as your prime focus in your prayers. I say again, not your careers, not your ambitions, not your plans, your troubles, or even your loved ones, but the glory of God. The glory of God. Oh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take these other things to God in prayer. But what I'm talking about now is the motive in your prayer. When you get on your knees and you begin to pray. Is it to move God to do what you want? Or is it to put Him first and His glory? Everything in my life brought under the control of this one focus to be like the Lord Jesus and to glorify God in whatever my hands find to do. And the only way to keep this focus is to pray, to spend time with God, to get things in our lives lined up and into proper perspective. To pray as the Lord Jesus did. In prayer to give the first place to the consideration of Him. His holy character, His truthfulness, His faithfulness, His promise in the Lord Jesus, His humility to consider gospel truth and that while we were still his enemies, he gave his son to die for us. To consider in prayer the cross on which the Prince of Glory died and to come to the place where I pour contempt 
on all my pride. To come to the place in prayer where we can truly say, My Father in heaven, hallowed be your glorious name. Again I ask, what is your focus in prayer when you come to pray? When we come to the place in prayer where, oh, sorry, we, we have not prayed, I believe, certainly not as the Lord Jesus appears to have prayed, until we have touched the glory of God in some way in our hearts. When we've done that, then we've begun to pray. It is also the place to bring into the open and subdue our sin in the presence of God's revealing righteousness. To not only recognize the sinfulness of my sins and inherent filth before Him, but to see Him in my, as to see even my righteousness as, as filthy rags in the light of His holy righteousness. But also to see in my sin, my rebellious, self-exalting, self-seeking attitude towards Him. To see the negative and detrimental implications of, that sin has on the reflection of His character in your life. To become aware of how self-interest would dominate my prayers and make them expressions of my self-seeking old self. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you understand what I'm talking about? As you review your prayers and the way that you pray, do you pray like Jesus? Or do you exalt self? The place to deal with self and past and potential sin is with the word in your hand and prayer on your lips. To listen to what he has to say first and then worship him in prayer. To pray, Lord, protect us from evil and lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, not to make life easier for me, but lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. When we leave that place of prayer, it should be with a renewed view of his glory, a new view of his worth, with new dependence upon him, and a renewed determination to reflect His character in our lives. Then we have prayed. I think there's too much stress laid today upon gifts in the church and in life, and too little stress laid on character and what I am in my heart in my life. 
God is not so greatly concerned with what you can do or how you use your gifts as he is with your character, with your attitude, with the way that you reflect him in what you do. A gift used without the accompanying character of the Lord Jesus sustaining it is in my experience one of the most spiritually destructive forces that I know, both in personal life and in the life of the church. Can I say that again? Because I believe it's this important. A gift used without the accompanying character of the Lord Jesus sustaining it, is in my experience one of the most spiritually destructive forces I know, both in personal life and in the life of the church. It doesn't lead us to Christ, it leads us to self-aggrandisement. It leads the focus to move away from Him and to success. To self-promotion. Yet on the other hand, gifts, even seemingly unnoticed gifts, that are accompanied by a real likeness to the Lord Jesus, like that widow's might, have sometimes been powerful influences in the church for spiritual good. People not prominent, but Christ-like, doing the most mundane things, but in their attitude revealing the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one thing that concerns every Christian, every one of us here this morning, is character, is to be conformed, to be moulded into a character like his, to reflect something of his great love for his Father, his humility, his meekness, his love for others, even his love for his enemies. And when you look at the New Testament, this was the burden of Paul's prayer for the church. To the Galatians he says, My children, my children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. It is God's stated purpose for all those that he calls, for every one of us here this morning, if we are Christians. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, so that anybody who came into a church might see him reflected in the people that are in the congregation. Do people see that when they come into the Wanganui East Baptist Church? Hmm? Do they see it in your life? That's God's purpose for you as his people. 
The place to deal with these things and to get them into the right focus is before the throne of grace, on your knees, both in your heart and in your posture, with an open Bible. You see, prayer is just not a one-way conversation. And the way that God speaks to you is not through voices out of the ether or voices generated in your own desires and feelings. The way that God speaks to us is in his word. And that's why he's taken such great care to give it to us. And if you want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Turn to his word. Turn to his word. Because you cannot separate the two. And when you do, you are in trouble. You cannot separate the two, the word and the spirit. And when you do, you are in trouble. This is, I believe, if we take his revealed prayers as an example, what the Lord Jesus is doing here. Keeping things in perspective by spending time with his Father in heaven. Keeping his focus on the Father's will and the things that matter most. And in so doing, he has left us an example which we should follow. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went out to a secluded place and was praying there. Now before we finish, a word of contrast. The disciples, seem, however, seem to have had a good night's sleep. You know? And the crowds who gathered the previous day had impressed them. I suppose today, if we could say, if we was good this morning, we had a full church. The singing was good. Everything went so well. This was success that they could understand. A grand start to his Galilean ministry. And from their perspective, a great beginning to the gathering of the people behind the future king of Israel. With success like this, it would not be long before the whole country would be following them. And the Poles would soon have them way ahead of everybody else in the political stakes. But how far short their expectations fell. But it helps us to understand their enthusiasm when we read on. Because Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Such success flatters lesser men into visions of grandeur and pride, but not the Lord Jesus. He had already dealt with those temptations in prayer. And the Lord's response must have been something of an unexpected surprise to them, even deflating 
Let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. You see, the Lord Jesus was very aware of the fickle nature of people's response to him. The praises of today would soon turn into the crucify him, crucify him of tomorrow. And the majority had never never been touched by the message of the kingdom of God and certainly not by who he really was. Their only interest was in the miracles, the sensational. And while the Lord Jesus was happy to meet the needs of those who came, For most, the miracles were not signs, not a revelation of who he really was, but a means to relieve their own personal need. You seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. How sad that having been in the presence of the, Lord, of the Lord of glory, of the Word become flesh, that their selfish interests blinded them to who He was. But the Lord Jesus reminds us when He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Miracles were not the important thing. It was who and what they revealed that was important. And it is the same for us. The Lamb of God has come, The kingdom of God has come amongst us. The king of the kingdom has been revealed to us with all his power and his love and his mercy and is the message of a kingdom that is not of this world, a message that was to be taken to as many in Israel as possible, into towns and villages all over the country. And good things like miracles were not to be allowed to distract from the real purpose of revealing the Messiah, the true kingdom of God. And the way that he kept his focus was to pray, and pray often. And if we are to pray as he prayed, then it is important to first make sure our focus in prayer is in the right direction. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, a kingdom that is to come first into my heart, my heart, before anywhere else. To make it a priority in prayer to meditate on him, his character, his glory and his purpose. To meditate on his glorious sin-consuming righteousness And as the psalmist to remember, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? 
and to meditate upon his faithfulness as the covenant-keeping God of grace. And to remember he has loved his people with covenant love, an everlasting love, a love that even went as far as the cross. Have you got problems in your life? And sometimes you wrestle with God because you don't understand the circumstances you are in. You don't understand why these things are happening. And sometimes you're tempted to think, why is it happening to me because I'm a Christian, I'm one of God's children? Well, when I go to prayer under these circumstances, Never leave until you can say from your heart, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will this God whom I'm contemplating, this faithful God, will he not do right even in these circumstances? And to be able to stand up after I've prayed and to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Such, I believe, is the soul of true Christian prayer. Prayer prayer is not our way of manipulating God to do what we want Him to do, but God's given means of tuning us into Himself and His glory. And until we have touched the character of God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, I don't think we have really prayed. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. May I encourage you to go and do likewise. Let's pray. God our Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit indeed would show us something of the glories of your grace and your mercy, the glories of who you are, the Almighty God, the Creator God, the Sustaining God, the God of all comfort, the God of all grace, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. O God our Father, lead us to that place on our knees where we glory in you because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.